mind, we come today to Daniel chapter 6 in our study of this uh, amazing book. This is sermon number 10 in our series. We've arrived now in chapter 6. I mentioned to you several weeks ago that the three most well-known Bible stories seem to be David and Goliath, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and Daniel in the lion's den. Most anyone anywhere who grew up around church is acquainted with those three great Bible stories, and Daniel chapter 6 is the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel 6 also ends the historical narrative portion of the book of Daniel. Chapters 7 through 12 record some very interesting and challenging sections of prophecy that were given to Daniel. All of it was prophetic when Daniel received it, but since Daniel's lifetime, some of it has been fulfilled and some of it is yet to come. We're going to launch into those sections of the book, Lord willing, in upcoming weeks. Uh, I have not mentioned this also previously, but way back in chapter 2 and verse 4, when Daniel wrote, Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in, in, in Aramaic. Uh, when he said that, Daniel switched languages. He stopped writing in Hebrew and he began writing in Aramaic. And he has continued writing in Aramaic all the way through from chapter 2, verse 4. He'll keep writing in Aramaic all the way to the end of chapter 7. And then beginning in chapter 8, he switches back to Hebrew and continues with that through the rest of the book. Why, you may ask, would Daniel do that? Well, Daniel doesn't spell it out for us, but Aramaic was the primary language of Babylon, Assyria, and Persia. It was the language of government and trade, and being the chapter 1 and chapters 8 through 12 basically concerned the Hebrew people primarily. He would write in their language, of course that was Daniel's first language that he grew up speaking, but chapters 2 through 7 concern Gentile nations in the region, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians. So he wrote in their language. And of course it's all translated into English for us, so, so we don't see the switch. Uh, but it, but it's, a, it's a really a great reminder for us that God wants His Word to be known and understood. There is a specific target audience for every book of the Bible, for every chapter of the Bible, and God wants His Word to be known and understood. God is not hiding His truth. He's not speaking in riddles so that no one can figure it out. That God wants His truth to be known, and even when He speaks in symbolic language, which we will see in these upcoming chapters in Daniel, uh, even when God speaks in symbolic language, it is possible to figure it out if you study it and ponder it and see how those symbols are used in other places in the Scripture. One great example of that is the Passover from the book of Exodus. God commanded the children of Israel to kill a lamb, to roast it, to eat it as a meal. But then, as you all, I think all of you probably know that story of the Passover, He wanted them to take the blood of the lamb and place it on the doorposts of their home. And then when the death angel passed through Egypt, that was the tenth plague, uh, when that death angel passed through Egypt that night, God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And God said to do that every year on the 14th day of the first month of the year to remember how God had delivered them from Egypt. So the blood of the Lamb pictured their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. And when the Lord Jesus Christ began His ministry on this earth, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and he publicly said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
God was interpreting the symbol of the Lamb. The Passover Lamb was the picture of the coming Redeemer. And the Lord Jesus Christ was actually crucified right at Passover, right on the day that the Lamb was being prepared. He totally fulfilled exactly what that ancient symbol represented. And a few decades later, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 5, Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So whatever uncertainty there may have been regarding the symbol of the Lamb back in Exodus, over time God made it very clear exactly what the symbol meant. And as you study the scripture, you will see that almost every single time God makes it very clear what his symbols mean. There are a few things we may wonder about, but with some study, almost all of God's symbols are not unknowable or mysterious. There's absolutely nothing mysterious in in this passage of Scripture today in Daniel 6. It's the age-old conflict between good and evil, between righteousness and wickedness, between truth and honor versus lies and scheming. And as we conclude the historical section, this historical narrative portion of Daniel, I want to remind you again, as we've said in past weeks, nations rise and nations fall. The only ethnic group that has survived as a distinct ethnic group throughout the world's history is Israel, the Jewish people. They've been around since Genesis chapter 12, and you will see them as a distinct people group even in the book of Revelation. But all of the Gentile nations of the world, all of the people groups of the world, do not maintain a clear distinctive for many, many centuries. You've got an ancient history, you've got the Hittites, the Egyptians, the Sumerians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. Their empires have all risen and fallen. They've all been absorbed into other groups, and their cultures have evolved or dissolved. Here in the Americas, we have the great ancient cultures and empires of the Mayans, the Incans, the the Incas, the Aztecs, all today primarily known through archaeology. And in the last few hundred years, there have been various countries in Europe that were, that were dominant powers. Now they've faded away. The, the truth being, nations rise and nations fall. They come and they go. But the Bible tells us in Acts 17 that all the times of the nations and the boundaries of where they live are all planned by the sovereignty of God. And what happens to the nations is all in the plan of God for the history of the world. Nations come and go, perhaps even ours. But but it's all in the plan of God, and God's work goes on. As we read in past weeks in Isaiah 40, you remember the phrase, he said, God said, Behold, the nations are like a drop in a bucket, and they're counted as the small dust on the scale. God rules in history. And nations may come, and nations may go, even our own. But God's plan of salvation revealed through His people is going to go on exactly according to schedule. The people of God preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ keep going right through the rise and fall of nations. And that's a great hope for us. And we see that in the book of Daniel. Babylon has fallen, Persia is on the rise, but Daniel is not only surviving, he's thriving. Blessed by God and used by God, as we will see again in this chapter. Now, as we want to read, we want to read through the story. We want to hang our thoughts on several key words, and then we want to offer some practical applications from the life of Daniel and the working of God. The first word is this: promoted. Daniel was promoted. 
Look at Daniel chapter 6. Actually, we're going to read the last two verses of chapter 5. Verse 30, that very night Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. You had a major empire change. The Babylonians were done for, and the Persians were on the rise. In verse, chapter 6 and verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, those are just, that's a Greek word for an administrator, uh, to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm, which was going to be what irritated a bunch of people. But when Darius took over Babylon, the end of chapter 5, he immediately began to organize his government. He had an empire to oversee. So he looked for the best and brightest administrators who were there and who were available. Daniel was by now in his mid-80s. He's probably 85 years old. But his testimony was apparently well known. And once again, he winds up right at the top of the heap, as they say. He's one of the top three administrators. And the king likes him so much that he starts thinking about making him the overseer of the entire empire. Daniel distinguished himself, and he did such an excellent job. He was a man of character his entire life. God put him right where he wanted him to be, and God allowed Darius to recognize the capability of Daniel, and he put him in a very strategic place, a place of incredible influence. You know what's interesting, that in the first year of Cyrus, we believe is this king Darius here, the first king of Cyrus, he gave a decree that the Jews could go back to Judah. We don't see it in the book of Daniel. We see it in other places, Ezra and Nehemiah. He he wrote a decree that the Jews could go back to Judah. The 70 years of Babylonian captivity was over. And Cyrus gave the decree that they could go back, that the Jews could go back to the land. And I would not be surprised if Daniel was not right in the middle of that process. He did not go back to Judea, probably because of his age and his current government position. But we can see the power of a godly life goes right into old age. Our second word, the word plot. Not only was Daniel promoted, but now there's a plot against him. You know, godliness often leads to jealousy in others. If you are blessed and used by God, you will find yourself sometimes hounded by envy. Not your envy, but the envy of others who are jealous of what God is doing with you. That is exactly what was taking place here. Begin to read with me here in verse 4. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. What an incredible testimony. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. 
all the governors of the kingdom, which of course is a lie, Daniel wasn't included, all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make the firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for thirty days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. I want you to think about this for a moment. Daniel has been in government for almost 70 years, and yet he has no skeletons in his closet. You know of a politician who's been in office for 70 years, who doesn't have any skeletons in his closet? Daniel was. I mean, all those years, they're trying to find something that he's done wrong and they can't find it. He said they found no fault. The word fault means corruption. There's no corruption. And then there was no error. The word error means no neglect. So no corruption, no neglect. They couldn't find anything that he shouldn't have done that he did, or anything that he didn't do that he should have done. Just quite an amazing, quite an amazing man. They couldn't find anything. Until they say, you know, the only way we're going to get some occasion against this guy is in his faith. We'll find some, something against him concerning the law of his God. The only thing we'll ever get him on is that he's totally committed to his God. But what an incredible commendation. They couldn't find anything else. And if they could have found it, I mean, if they, yeah, I mean, if they were searching, 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 find something Daniel had done wrong, they finally said, we're going to have to twist something and create some kind of a plot regarding his faith. And in this plot, as in most plots, the wicked rely on lies and flattery. All have consulted together, they tell the king. Well, no. And we agree you should make a law. You are so wonderful, O king. That no one should pray to anybody but you for 30 days. You've heard of being a queen for a day or a king for a day? This is, I get to be God for 30 days. We want you to be God for 30 days, O king. Now when you get elected to be God, you got bad theology. Okay? And if you only get elected to be God for 30 days, you got really bad theology. So they all, they all come in and they pull off their big lie. You know, you know to, to us, you know, to, to say that some man could be like a God for 30 days, it's absolutely ridiculous. Because we know God is holy and righteous and perfect and, and, and none of, has none of the imperfections of humanity. But for them it wasn't a problem because their gods were quite human in many ways. So claiming godhood was not uncommon for kings. Darius was very flattered. I mean, when you get a bunch of your governors t telling you that you get to act like God for 30 days, that's, that's pretty tough to resist. So he, he was swept away in the ego of the whole deal, and he signs the decree. Now, we don't know a lot about the law of the Medes and Persians, except we do know that once you make the law, you couldn't violate it. That was kind of built right into their system. And most historians who've researched this indicate that the reason that they did this was, was to prevent these whimsical, off-the-cuff kind of laws. So that once a law was made, it was binding, so they would be very, very careful about making laws. But when these guys came along and hit the king right at his point of vulnerability, his ego, 
place where I went, well, yeah, it sounds pretty good. It's gonna, but nobody prayed to anybody but me for 30 days. Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's, of course, I'm such a wonderful king. I've rescued this, you from the Babylonians and blah, 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 blah. It just fed his ego, so he signs it. And I'm sure these evil, low-life rascals are going to say, yeah, all right, finally, we can get rid of Daniel. So we've seen Daniel's promotion and the evil plot. Now I want you to see Daniel's perseverance. And if there is a verse in chapter 6, which to me, I mean, the lion's den, that's a, a fascinating, a great miracle. But verse 10 is the hinge that the whole chapter swings on. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room... With his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And here's the highlighting phrase, as was his custom since early days. Praying toward Jerusalem was a precedent set by Solomon in his prayer of dedication for the temple several hundred years before Daniel. We won't read the passage, but if you're interested in reading the passage, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 34 to 39. And, and Solomon in that passage prays to the Lord, and he says, Lord, if we, if we sin against you as a nation, and he said, we will sin because everybody sins. He said, if we sin against you as a nation and you take us away into captivity, if, 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 if we will, from the place of our captivity, pray toward Jerusalem, pray toward this temple, pray toward the holy city every single day, Lord, will you please hear our prayers and deliver us? Solomon prayed that at the te temple dedication 350 years before Daniel was ever born. Daniel knew the passage, he knew the story, he probably read the text. And so Daniel has been praying toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he says, as was his custom since early days. I think Daniel had been doing that the whole 70 years he was in Babylon. Wow. What an incredible testimony. Now you may wonder, why didn't Daniel just pray secretly? I mean, yeah, well, why not? I mean, you're going to throw me in the lion's den. I mean, certainly, certainly God will know my heart. And he'll know that I'm, you know, I just, I hate to get thrown in the lion's den. So I'll just, you know, I'll just... I just won't open my windows so the guys can see me pray. But no, that any, any compromise at all would have been noted by Daniel's enemies, and it was not in his character to do that. He had not compromised on his commitment to God his entire life. He said he prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Seventy years later, Daniel is still being openly faithful to God, and he's not about to compromise his commitment now. Daniel's perseverance. Which brings us to our fourth word, Daniel's persecution. Daniel's persecution. Look at verse 11. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication. You, are, you, can, you can bet they were laying for him, watching with spies. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within thirty days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, This is, it made this, didn't it just sound like vicious? That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, thinking, What? 
He's been in Babylon 70 years. But he's still, yeah, one of those captives from Judah. He does not show due respect for you, O king, or for the decree you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself, thinking, oh, what have I done? And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, No, no, O king, it is the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. These low-life little rascals filled with envy and wickedness, they figured they got Daniel now. They're going to be rid of him now. One of, one of us will be the king's number one man now. We're going to finally get rid of this guy that we couldn't find anything wrong with. Now, I don't know what the king tried to do. Maybe he tried to find a loophole in the law. That would be the normal human thing to do. People do it all the time, even right up to 2021. Maybe he tried to find something in past Medo-Persian law that would undo the thing. But technically, there's no way out. And, and, and you know what I love about this? There's no indication here in our text that, that Daniel ever says a word. Daniel never takes up his own cause. He never defends himself. Then when he comes out of the lion's den, he expresses a couple things. But when they're getting ready to throw him in the lion's den, Daniel never argues for his own life. He never defends himself. You see, he, he had such confidence in God through all these years that he was just going to commit himself to God. There, there was no defense. There was nothing to say other than, that's right, I was praying and I'm going to keep on praying because I've been praying like this for decades and I'll continue to do so. There was nothing else to say. So the king commanded, they brought Daniel through him in the pit, or the den of lions. The word den there, the Aramaic word means a pit. So here's this pit full of lions, purposely starved so they can be used for executions. But I want you to notice the king's final words to Daniel, or what he thinks might be his final words to Daniel in verse 16. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Now, where did he get that idea? Well, he had no knowledge of the true and living God except from Daniel. He got that idea from Daniel. I, I cannot imagine that Daniel has not spoken about his history in Babylon. These wicked accusers know he's Jewish. They know where he came from. They know his history with Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. I can't imagine that Darius is thinking about making Daniel his number one man without knowing his history. He's 85 years old. He's been in Babylon for 70 years. Darius knows exactly who he wants to promote. And he says, Daniel... Your God, whom you serve continually. <laughs> what, again, what, what a testimony. Your God, whom you serve continually, He will deliver you. Because I made a stupid law, and I'm going to have to throw you in the lion's den. Which brings us to our next key word, and this is, of course, everyone knows this part of the story. Daniel was preserved. Daniel was preserved. Of course, if he hadn't been, we wouldn't have this chapter in the book of Daniel. Every church kid knows this part of the story. The angel of the Lord shut the mouths of the lions. 
It says in verse 17, Then a stone was brought, laid on the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Daniel's probably sleeping down there with the lions, but the king can't sleep in the palace. And the king arose very early the next morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, Daniel! Does that sound like a lamenting voice? Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And out of the darkness, here's this voice. O king, live forever. Oh, he's alive! My God has sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, so they have not hurt me. And here's where Daniel defends himself. Because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Isn't it fascinating that when they're going to throw him in, Daniel makes no defense. He doesn't say, wait a minute, king, I'm so sorry. I mean, I mean listen, I've never done anything wrong. Oh, please don't throw me in the lion's den. He says, nothing. Throw me in. Yes, I prayed. And I will continue to do so. For the next 30 days, I've been praying three times a day facing toward Jerusalem for, for the last 70 years, and I'm not going to quit now. He makes no defense whatsoever until the king comes the next morning. Oh, king, yes, I'm here. God's angel has shut the lion's mouth because I was innocent before him, and I have done no wrong to you. You know, that's always the exciting part of the story, but you got to remember, it doesn't always happen this way. Isaiah was a holy, righteous man of God. But wicked king Manasseh shoved him into a hollow log and they sawed the log in half with him in it. The apostle Paul is a man of God, as you well know. He got beheaded. Peter was a man of God. He got crucified. And living a holy, dedicated life for God does not mean that the lions aren't going to eat you. There have been martyrs throughout all the history of God's dealings with men. They have believed God and they have died. The issue is, will we accept God's will? If we live, we live. If we die, we die. Remember Esther's famous words when she was about to go into the king unannounced. If I perish, I perish. I have to try to save my people. If I perish, I perish. And I think that's the way Daniel is looking at the lion's den. He's not pleading to be saved. He's not pleading to be delivered. He's not trying to make some argument. Yes, I prayed and I'm going to continue to do so. I've been doing this like this for 70 years. I'm not going to quit. If I get eaten, I get eaten. See, but in, in either case, whether we live or whether we die, we never lose. If Daniel had been eaten by the lions, he would have been in the presence of God. That would have been better than looking up the next morning at Darius and saying, O king, live forever. He couldn't lose. We never lose. If, we had been, if, if, he, if he had been torn to shreds, that angel that was there with him with the lions would have carried him to the place of rest with Abraham and the rest of the Old Testament saints. 
When we walk with the Lord, we never lose, regardless of how it comes out in this life. But by the grace of God, Daniel was preserved. God had more for him to do. And the next verses give us a a glimpse of Persian law. Historians tell us, of course, the law. One of the laws of the Medes of the Persian that they had seen was, on account of the guilt of one, all his kindred must perish. That was the laws of the Medes of the Persian, so that's what they did. Verse 23, the king was exceedingly glad for him, commanded they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. No injury was found on him because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Some silly nonsense commentators trying to poke fun at the story of Daniel always come up with these things. Oh, the lions were old. Oh, the lions were toothless. Oh, oh, there was only a couple of them. Oh, they weren't very hungry. Oh, they're blah, blah, blah. Well, that verse kind of blows that theory out of the water. They took all of those guys, I don't know how many there were, and they threw them and their wives and their whole families, threw them out in the pit, and they said, and it says the lions ripped them to shreds before they ever hit the bottom of the pit. And then we see another incredible proclamation by the king of an empire. As we've gone through our study here in Daniel, we've seen a couple of amazing proclamations. Our next word there, we saw some amazing proclamations by Nebuchadnezzar. Now we see one by Darius. Look at verse 25. King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't that be an amazing law in the United States of America? I make a law that every single human being in this country should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. That would be quite astounding, would it not? For he is the living God, and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And in our last word for Daniel, Daniel prospered. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let me ask you a story. Or ask you a question in this story. We've seen that the testimony of one man has impacted the entire empire. Now the entire Medo-Persian empire is under a government decree to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. You know, God, God does not need a huge group of people to impact the world. He just needs the right kind of people. He needs a few Daniels. And, and, and this question I want to ask is, who gets the glory in this chapter? Yes, Daniel was faithful and dedicated and determined and, and committed, but God gets the glory. And I believe if you see one thread running through the whole book of Daniel, it is the majesty and the glory of God who stands against the nations of the world and he performs his, word, his will. And as his last verse says, Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius. We don't know how many more years Daniel lived. He was 85 probably when this took place, right around there. Some Jewish traditions say that he was in his 90s when he died, so maybe he had five to ten more years after this event. But God continued to prosper him in the kingdom of the Persians. 
And as we look at this chapter that kind of ends the narrative portion of Daniel's life, everything else in the rest of the, of the book are visions and prophecies that God gave to Daniel. What, what do we see about Daniel? You know, there's, there's one quality of Daniel's life that just made him so incredibly outstanding. And that's this, that he was consistent. In his attitude, in, in the performance of his duties, in his walk with the Lord, in his prayer life, everything about Daniel was consistent. He had an excellent spirit about him, as they'd said in earlier chapters, the spirit of the Holy God is with him. He, he, he was willing to face any consequence of serving God. He was willing to serve the Lord regardless of the personal cost. He was known for His holiness even by His enemies. He, he lifted the faith of other people because of His testimony. Look what He did for Darius. He was consistent. Year after year after year, decade after decade after decade, 70 years, seven decades later, He's still being consistent before the Lord. Yesterday, Carol handed me a, a note that she had written on a piece of paper a while back. It looked like the beginning of some sermon notes, but she couldn't remember what it was from. She kind of laughed and said, maybe this was for you in this sermon. <laughs> and the words were this. It's a great ending, hon. The words were this that she'd written. Prepared or paranoid? Are you prepared or are you paranoid? That's actually a very, a very powerful way to end our thoughts. Look at, look at verse 10 again. When Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before God, as was his custom since early days. Daniel was prepared. He was not paranoid. No fear in this man. He was prepared by prayer. He was prepared by faithfulness. He was prepared by consistency. He was prepared by commitment. He was prepared to be used by God, whether by his life or by his death. He was not paranoid about anything. He was totally prepared. And he was prepared because of his consistent lifestyle. He walked with the Lord every day for 70 years. He was not paranoid. And as we look at our world today, and as we look at our country today, and as we see end times events unfolding, are you prepared or are you paranoid? Are you, are you ready to be used by God to touch those in your circle of influence for the glory of God, regardless of what's going on in, 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 in our economy and in politics and in our nation and all around the world? Are we prepared or are we paranoid? Let's pray. Lord, we've lived a very comfortable life, generally speaking, in this world. Oh, we have our day-to-day -day struggles, but we don't have 
the government looking to arrest us. We don't have people trying to throw us into the lion's den. We don't have the fear of death hanging over us. But Lord, we don't know what is to come. We don't know what challenges may, may befall us in coming months and years. We don't know what trials we may face. There may be financial setbacks. There may be health problems. We may get bad news from a doctor. We may have something happen that is totally unexpected. There may be an accident. All sorts of things can happen to us in this life, Lord. And when those times come, I pray, Father, that we will not be overcome by fear. That we will not live our lives paranoid of what's coming, what might happen. But that we will be prepared to stand for God regardless. We will be prepared, as Daniel was, by, by a consistent life of prayer and study of the Word and faithfulness to God. So that when that defining moment comes, we will stand firmly, prepared to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul said in the book of Philippians, we want Christ to be magnified in our bodies, whether by life or by death. Help us, Lord, to never live in fear. May we stand firmly with Daniel and be prepared to be used of God in any circumstance, in any place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.